We go back in history with historical researcher Michael Carroll, who wrote me an email a month or so ago and said, I am a historical researcher and explorer, notably of the Revolutionary War period up through the Civil War. I've gained permissions to access documents in the National Archives, various state and local organizations and officials, as well as town hall vaults and rare books to further my work. So we're going to talk this morning with Michael. And the primary focus today is an event called the Battle of Fort Griswold from 1781. Michael, good morning. How you doing? Thanks for coming in for today. And why the Battle of Fort Griswold? What intrigues you with that? Well, uh, years ago, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, I, I like to always try to find more information and uh, one of my colleagues inadvertently challenged me and said oh you're never gonna find anything more it's all been written um, so good luck and that kinda lit my fire and here we are years later I've turned over many uh, rocks and uh, books and you name it and I found stuff that people don't write about which actually corrects the information that's currently known where did you find that? You talked about getting access to the National Archives. Right. Can anybody get access to the National Archives? Uh, people can get uh, access to the National Archives, but you got to know what you're doing. Um, you go into the room. They, they assign you a card to be able to go into these rooms. Um, they are there with you. You usually wear cotton gloves because you're accessing uh, historical documents. Um, but also, if I'm not mistaken, you can't be a felon. Uh, they do do checks on that um, because of, it's such a secure area. Um, but then your card's good for a year. You can come back whenever you want um, as long as someone's there with you, and you have unlimited amount of time. Compare and contrast the National Archives mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. with a library. Well, there's actually a, the one I went to is in Waltham, Mass. There's a National Archives there as well. There's numerous National Archives locations. The one in Waltham, Mass. is the one I went to. But compared that to a library, uh, a library, usually you find books. You, you'll find new, old newspapers, you know, some maps, things like that. National Archives, you're actually holding and accessing documents written in that time period um, to where in a library they don't have that kind of facility to be able to preserve those records. So when you wrote me, you said you wanted to focus on the Battle of Fort Griswold. Correct. Number one, why that particular event? Well, again, I, I'm I'm a hopeless romantic. So the revolutionary You've come to the right town. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Revolutionary War uh, is definitely perfect for that. Um, it, people back then believed differently than what we believe now. Um, and I'm an old soul, so I kind of fit perfectly with that. Um, and then being from this area, uh, I grew up in Stafford Springs and up and down eastern Connecticut. It, it really felt like home. And I've traveled all over the U.S. Um, and lived in Sicily, and yet I still keep coming back here. So there's that pull here. Okay, so you want to research the Battle of Fort Griswold. And what you said in the opening statement mm -hmm. I thought was the same thing I thought of. I said, man, this thing's over 200 years ago. Probably everything that's been written about it's been written. Everything that's been found out has been found out. Did you find out new information? I found out a bunch of new information, um, and I've actually upset the local community in the process, which, uh, no disrespect, but I love that, uh, because I believe in order to learn, you have to be willing to challenge, and challenge in the sense of challenge what people 
believe popular uh, folklore and stories. Um, and what people put out there isn't always what it actually is. And people may say to me, well, you know, why do it? What's the purpose of it? It's only history. You know, let's just accept what's already out there. But again, let's pay the proper respect to, to history, to the people that have passed and come before us. And let's learn from it as a, as a community. I want to hear about the people you honked off. What were they upset about? So I was actually at the battlefield, which anyone can visit. It's a state park, of course. Um, and the, the lower part of that, which is called the lower battery, that's from the Civil War period. Um, there was Revolutionary War parts there on the lower part, but of course those were gone. Um, and I was given a tour. And uh, I didn't plan it. It just happened. There were two people from Minnesota. Uh, who were at the Bill Memorial Library right next to it and wanted a tour. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll take you guys around. And as I'm doing it, I'm up on um, the earthworks where the cannons are, are were from the Civil War, and this gentleman's walking his dog, which I, I don't like because it's a battlefield. You're, you're letting your dog use the restroom wherever. I'm not a fan of that. But he starts yelling at me from a distance, saying, no, what are you doing? You can't be up there just going off on me. And I said, excuse Wait a me, He's folks. walking his dogs right. on the sacred land. He didn't want you on that sacred right. land? Right. He didn't want me on the earthworks. What's wrong with this picture? And so I approached him. I said, can I help you? He's like, do you have permission to be here and do this? And I said, well, actually, I do. I said, I was friends with the Friends of um, Fort Griswold, which is the organization dedicated to preserving it. Um, I said, how can I help you? He's like, Robert, he's just going off on me. He's very upset. And he says... Well, do you believe, um, you know, what's been written about this place? And I said, well, to be honest, I really don't. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, there's numerous inaccuracies and things written to kind of put yourself in a better light during that period because you can't fact check back in the 1800s like you can now. And, of course, he went crazy on me and, you know, just let it be, just let it lie, just we've accepted it, just accept it yourself. He was just a miserable person, to be honest. And and so when I found this information and I talk about it, it, it does ruffle the feathers. Michael, through your historical research, have you managed to rewrite any history of the Battle of Fort Griswold? I haven't put it down on paper. I have it on paper in documents. Um, I've been able to make copies of it. I have spoken to one of my close colleagues about it. Um, I'm actually working on putting together a treatment for a screenplay because I want to do either a documentary or a short movie which hasn't been done about this, um, certainly not to, to this degree, and release that information to the public. Because, it, again, if, if we're paying respect to the people, let's do it correct. Um, and let's get that real information out there so we're not misinforming our public. So, Michael, exactly what was the Battle of Fort Griswold, and why is it significant? Uh, the Battle of Fort Griswold... Uh, Outside of this area, uh, southeastern Connecticut, it really isn't even known. Um, it actually, Benedict Arnold, of course, from Norwich, uh, the, the infamous, if you will, traitor of the uh, Revolutionary War, knew of uh, Fort Griswold itself um, from being in, on the Patriot side before he defected. I and might add, by the way, Michael's wearing a Patriot's hat right now. But <laughs> yes, of course. Di different Patriots? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a tiny bit, yeah. No TB12 here, you know. Uh, but 
he knew of the the fort and on the back side of the fort it wasn't complete when he was here and so coming down the thames river uh when they got to the mouth of it the british and landed he actually seen the fort and it was more reinforced when he seen it uh leading up to the attack and didn't want to attack however his message didn't get over to the troops in time and the attack commenced and among the names for this event i looked on wikipedia mm -hmm. the battle of groton heights yep. and occasionally called the fort griswold massacre I know people are eating their Rice Krispies right now, but why was it called a massacre? How many people got massacred? Well, uh, I don't... You see, the the, mass, the word massacre is really from our side, the Patriot side, from the side of the, the people that lost. They're able to write history and to emphasize it a little bit more. Um, it really ended up being a massacre, uh, and that's only because the British, as they were going up to the fort... The flag for the Patriots fell, and it fell due to a bullet or uh, multiple bullets hitting the flag from the British. And when that flag came down, the British thought, hey, you know, they give up the fort, they surrender. So they're going up to the fort, not firing on it as they are. The Patriots are unloading on them. I mean, just wiping them out. As the British are able to get inside the fort and the surrender happens... That's when the massacre begins. And it's because they're so incensed, they thought they surrendered when they really didn't. What was the impact of the Battle of Fort Griswold on George Washington's efforts down in Virginia? Well, you look at it, uh, uh, this was one of the last main battles of the American Revolution. It, again, it's not highly publicized, but it really was because this was September 5th that the British landed. September 6th is when the battle took place that morning, and then the British left that day, later on that day. And then uh, Washington and everything else took place, you know, just months after. Um, so it really kept Benedict Arnold up here because had this battle not taken place, his troops could have gone and, and gone against George Washington, and it really kept him up here. From what I read, Lieutenant General Sir Henry Clinton ordered Arnold to raid the port of New London in an unsuccessful attempt to divert General George Washington from marching against Lord Cornwallis's army in Virginia. The raid was a success, but the Connecticut militia stubbornly resisted British attempts to capture Fort Griswold across the Thames River in Groton. New London was burned along with several ships, but many more ships escaped upriver. Tell me about the burning of New London. Well, Benedict Arnold, of course, had a lot of friends in that area. Uh, it was widely known that he was also a Freemason. Um, as was George Washington. And so some of his friends that were also Masons in that area, their homes weren't burned. Um, but he burned those homes and the ammunition as they were fleeing, um, taking prisoners back to New York and bringing them into jail there. Several leaders of the attacking British force were killed or seriously wounded, but the British eventually breached the fort and the Americans surrendered, whereupon the British entered the fort and massacred the defenders However, the high level of British casualties in the overall expedition against Groton and New London led to criticism of Benedict Arnold by some of his superiors. The battle was the last major military encounter of the war, as Michael just said, in the northern USA, preceding and being overshadowed by the decisive Franco-American siege of Yorktown. About six weeks later, at the Battle of Yorktown, the Marquis de Lafayette reportedly yelled, Remember Fort Griswold! 
as American and French forces stormed the redoubts. Have you finished your research, or is this an ongoing project for you? Research is always ongoing. I do want to point out that when they surrendered, the, the popular story goes that Colonel William Ledger, for the Patriots, surrendered his sword. And now it's disputed who actually he surrendered that sword to. Um, but the, the popular story is he surrendered his sword, and when he did, the British took the, his sword and stabbed him through his own chest, killing him instantly, leading up to the massacre. I don't believe it. I, I do know I have seen his uniform that he was wearing that day, which isn't a military uniform we would think of now. I've seen his vest and his shirt. Um, the markings on it are in a triangle fashion, which... The, Amer the Patriots didn't have that fashion for their swords. The one that I've come across is a bayonet, which would have been affixed to a brown best musket, which is what the British used. I don't believe that he was stabbed with his own sword. Also, uh, the Bill Memorial Library, which I mentioned earlier in Groton, right next to the battlefield, they have what they call his sword on display. You can go see it. Anyone can go see it. It's in a nice little wooden case, and they say this is the sword that uh, Colonel William Ledger was stabbed with. However, it is way too small to be a battle sword. Um, doesn't have that triangle fashion to it. And when I spoke to... Uh, I'm not going to name drop, uh, but when I spoke to the former executive director for the library, I said, well, let's do DNA testing on this, which possibly still could be done, um, and let's let's get this story straight. You know, if you're presenting this as the sword, let's make sure. And again, just like that elder gentleman, she was so incensed that how dare I challenge the history and, you know, just let it be, and she refused outright. Now... If you're calling this his sword, why why are you so hesitant to get a DNA tested unless you know that it's not? That's just my theory on it. And, and it just, again, leads credence to this isn't his sword. Gee, they had a thing like 20 years ago when they were going to dig up Zachary Taylor, the 12th U.S. president, to check his DNA for some... I forget exactly what it's about now, but you know they'll do that to check out historical stories right. why wouldn't they do it on this it's interesting again but it challenges that public folklore that you know, that public you know hey this is our you know come and view his sword you know not only come to our library to view our books come and view history well what if all these years you've been telling the wrong history you know all of a sudden now the public's going to get mad because you're lying to them the whole time michael has your research helped rewrite some of that history. I realize oh, absolutely. You're, you're, well, I realize you're getting stonewalled in some areas, right. but it has, has there been some areas where you've had success? Yeah, I have had success. I do know if you actually go to the site, uh, the, the battlefield, which, and again, it's a state park. Anyone can visit. If you go to walk in what was the original entrance and you look to the trench, there's trenches all around it, which are, uh, uh, they're correct. But if you look to the trench to your left, they're actually, uh, that floor level isn't the correct floor level. Of course, it would have been several feet down, you know, in 1781. The British are still buried there. When the British were leaving in their haste, knowing that more patriots were going to come to this place, um, they took the cheese out of the pockets of their deceased uh, comrades, which they had taken from a house down the road uh, for food before the battle. Um, and they put their British uh, friends and patriots uh, right into the ditch and just threw dirt over them. 
And for days, hands and feet and everything were still sticking up. And to this day, they're still buried there. So again, this is why I get upset with people walking their dogs and defecating everywhere. It's technically a graveyard. And you're just allowing people to do whatever they want. Um, but that is part of it. I also know in the middle of the fort, there's a stone that's laying there. And people didn't know what it was. And even on the, the maps, it just says ruin. No one actually knew what it was. I ended up at the National Archives, found a drawing which stated there was a two-story guardhouse that stood there. And where that stone is, originally the bottom floor of that guardhouse had a trap door that went down uh, into a 17 by 20 uh, basically little cubby hole, and that's where they kept ammunition and weapons and so forth. So that's been filled in, but that's what that was. And it's not even written about that this is you know, part of the history of it. Um, and down also on the, the earthworks where the cannons are, you'll see a large round rock. And it, it must weigh 800, 1,000 pounds. It's pretty large. And there was a crack in it, much about the crack on this desk here, this wooden piece here, about an inch long. And I was able, with permission from the state, DEP, to send a camera down there to see what was in here because it obviously was a cavity. When I did, it goes down about 19 feet. Now these earthworks put there by man weren't there originally, of course. Why would you build up this land 19 feet high, probably 15 feet, 20 feet across, just to drill down behind where the cannons were? If you, go, which I was able to go into the magazine house that directly next to it, uh, which dates to the Civil War, there's a small round in depression in the ground, about three feet by three feet, which lines up perfectly with that tunnel. So I'm thinking that's a tunnel that they maybe would have had ammunition or some sort of way to hide from people coming up. When I contacted and showed DEP my video, weeks later they went back and filled in that crack and said no one else can look here. And yet it's never been excavated. You know, so there's, you know, all these things that are out there and people just want to look the other way. Let's just get the history correct. In your travels, have you found that this battle, the Battle of Fort Griswold in the Revolutionary War, is given its proper due in local schools? No. no in other words, history classes. No, I didn't learn about it in history class. I, I went to NFA my freshman year. I went to Griswold High uh, for the rest of my high school career. And I never learned about the battle in any, any of my classes. Even at Griswold High, Even when the thing is called the Battle of Fort Griswold. Right, right. I never <laughs> learned about it at all. And it was actually uh, called the Battle of Fort Griswold because it was named after, if not, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Matthew Griswold who the fort was named after the designer of the fort. So what can you do, maybe we're doing it this morning, to try to inspire local schools to teach this significant story in American history? Here's the thing, you know, a lot of times, you know, people are just quick to learn, you know, what's in a textbook. I found, you know, I was a straight A student in school, but I found being out in the field, learning by doing, you actually learn a lot more than what just reading in a book. Putting your hands on something, being that hopeless romantic and feeling that past come alive, it'll pull something in you and make you want to know more. There was a significant event 
in the Revolutionary War on September the 6th, 1781, between a small Connecticut militia force led by Lieutenant Colonel William Ledyard and the more numerous British forces led by Brigadier General Benedict Arnold and Lieutenant Colonel Edmund Eyre, and it was called the Battle of Fort Griswold. Other places, including Wikipedia, list it as the Battle of Groton Heights or even the Fort Griswold Massacre. My guest this morning is historical researcher Michael Carroll, who's done his own research and found some changes to be made in the history books regarding this battle. I noticed that on the Wikipedia page, it doesn't even start by calling it what you do, Michael, the Battle of Fort Griswold. It says the Battle of Groton Heights, parenthetically, also known as the Battle of Fort Griswold and occasionally called the Fort Griswold Massacre. Is it safe to say that among the things you'd like to get changed in history books might be the Wikipedia page about the Battle of Fort Griswold? You look at Wikipedia, and I'm sure people mean well, but again, it's one of those, you remember the telephone game? You you start with one thing, and then 10 people later, it's something different. And that's what Wikipedia (laughs) really is, because people will read that one book, The Burning of uh, Grand Heights, uh, which has the, the narrative of Stephen Hempstead. And then, you know, from that, that's where all these other th- works have been done. And that's where people get their information. That's where they rely on it. That's where I got mine this morning. Right. And then uh, so people write and, you know, oh, this is what it's called. This is, I've never heard it called Fort Griswold Massacre, to be honest. It, Wikipedia, that's what people put on there. And then people run with it. And that's taken as fact. Now, you are on a mission to correct the history books, to correct the annals, to get proper information out there after decades, if not centuries, of misinformation. Are you aware that you, Michael Carroll, and actually me too and everybody, has the power to change what's on Wikipedia? You just set up an account with them, password, username, that kind of stuff, and you go in there. They had a thing like 20 years ago with the New York Times ran some Wikipedia stuff that was wrong, and they got in trouble for it. And since that time, Wikipedia now has some accountability to it. So now if someone puts bad information up there that someone contradicts, they can go in there and find out who did it and, if necessary, take it off. But I'm saying you can go on that page, and you can put your information on there and make that page perfect. Well, there's no perfect because, I mean, you know, we're always learning history, you know. So there's there's always something out there, no matter what. And I'm certainly no expert. I just have been doing this for so many years now. Um, But while Wikipedia, and and I can respect Wikipedia and, and what they do, I think it needs to be brought out on a bigger scale than just one page. It needs to be set on on numerous accounts because even if you correct one thing, you still have everything else that's going to have all that false information. Let me do a little geographical locating here for the listeners. That anybody that's taken a boat or a ship in the Thames River, including our folks who go to Block Island every year, You're going down the Thames River, and on the east bank, up on the hill, there's a great big monument, an obelisk that just stands out there. What is that? That's the obelisk that was dedicated to the the commemoration of the battle itself. 
Um, and if you can walk to the top of it when the rangers are there. It's a, a brilliant walk to the top. It, it's quite high, um, but it gives you an aerial view of everything, you know, from the edge of the Thames River, the mouth of it, all the way to the battlefield. Uh, it's definitely worth going and checking out. Was that a strategic location, perhaps to be able to control or protect the river traffic going up and down the Thames River? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's why that and Fort Trumbull across the way, those two spots were necessary for protecting for, uh, the Thames River. And you'll be having a talk about something, maybe this, in March as a program with the last Green Valley. Tell me about that. So it's actually not pertaining to this. Um, I'm going to be working with them to do a talk about this, um, but that's later on. I'm actually doing a historical event in Voluntown in the Patchogue Forest. Um, there, there's a legend of a girl, uh, everyone knows it, it's called Maud's Grave. Um, and so correcting that information which has taken me years finding the the descendants um and the cemetery and so we're going to be going out to the different sites talking about the legend showing you all these legendary hotspots, and then we're actually going to be taking you to the actual cemetery which is 400 yards into the woods Lo thought lost to the sands of time i ended up finding a hand-drawn map from the 70s about it and then there's another program or two later in the year? Yep. I'm going to be doing what's called a Walktober. So in March, it's called their Spring Outdoors. And they, they want everyone to get outdoors and to go check out different sites and, and be out in the public. And in October, it's called Walktober. And so they have all these walks and different things. Um, you know, I'm not a big, hey, let's try to scare you. But I understand it's Halloween. That's what people want. So we're going to be doing that same kind of uh, deal where we're bringing you out there and, you know, showing you these different sites and educating the people. Now, as we get back to the Battle of Fort Griswold, we've talked about the things that you've debunked or tried to debunk that's been told for a couple of centuries or so. Your goal is to write a book correcting inaccuracies as well as adding more facts for the history books. What's the status of that book right now? So I've been working on it. I've been compiling a lot of information. Um, I My big problem is I've never written a book before. So this is a, a huge undertaking. It, it's not as simple as just reading the accounts that are commonly out there and just putting a little bit of new information into it. I actually want to take all the information, what I've researched, what's out there, combine it, and rewrite it. Um, the way it should be written. Self-published? Do you have a publisher yet? Uh, it it probably would be self-published. I, I don't have a publisher. Um, I, one of my colleagues, they have written numerous books in the paranormal field, um, and so I could probably link up with them and their publisher, but I don't have a publisher per se. You have a timetable you'd like to get the book out by? Sooner than later. I mean, I'm 38 years old, I, I'm, but at the same time, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I don't want all this information to go away should ha something happen to me, you know. How far along are you? In other words, do you have all your research done for that where you could finish the whole thing right now? Oh, you... oh yeah, absolutely. So there's no more research to be done? No, there's. I'm always still looking for research because I know there's always something brand new. I mean, here it is. I've been doing this for a few years now. So up until that point, people were saying, oh, there's no more research to be found. There's no more new information. And over the course of five, six, seven years, there is new information. So knowing that, 
I know five years down the road, someone else is going to find something else. So, but I have the bulk of my information right now. In all of your research on the Battle of Fort Griswold, was there an aha moment for you where you discovered yeah. something and said, yeah, that's what they should have had in the history books, and that's not what they wrote? Yeah, when when I seen his uh, the clothing that Colonel William Ledger was wearing, um, I knew instantly the story wasn't true. And they, even if you go to the Grand Town Hall, they have a beautiful mural that's painted. Um, actually, it's a painting, but uh, depicting the moment that he was taken down. And if you look at it, the way it's portrayed, they have the British in front of him, they have the sword going through him, and they have the Thames River right behind him. Now, that's incorrect, because if you go to the battlefield, uh, they have a marker commemorating where he fell, and that's actually to the left. Yet, in the picture, it's to the right. So, you know, this was done 100 years later, you know. So there's just a lot of misinformation out there. Michael, when you were at Griswold High School, did you get an A in history? I, I breezed through it, yeah. yeah. Was Revolutionary Warp time the thing you liked the most, or was there some other thing of history that floated your boat? No, I just I love history in general, but again, you know, there's not many movies really depicting um, the Revolutionary War. You look at The Patriot of Mel Gibson. Great, great movie. Might be, you know, not correct 100%, but still a great movie. But that that's one of those movies that just really, you know, oh, I wish I was alive back then. You know, it's such a romantic time period. 14 years old, you were a man. You know, 14 years old now, you, you're playing on your cell phones 24-7. You know, and it, so, I want says, that. Says the guy holding his cell phone oh, Facebook living, by the way. Guilty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, oh, I don't, yeah, you got me. I, I want to take a little side trip here because you mentioned earlier about how much traveling you do, yep. both domestically and internationally. You mentioned Sicily. I got to think that when you take all those kinds of trips, you're taking historical visits along the way. Yeah, I always look, you know, even now, um, no matter where I go, you know, my fiance will say to me, you know, it's one of those squirrel moments. You know, we'll be driving down the road, she'll be talking, and I'll see something, and boom, my, my vision's gone. You know, I'm looking right at it. I'm always looking, no matter where you go, because nine times out of ten, you drive down the road going to the shop or to, to work, and you don't appreciate what's right there in front of you. You know, and so for me, when I see something, I've got to know more about it. And you put your hands on it, and you can feel the people come alive, and you can feel the past come alive. You know, it's one of those hopeless romantic things. All right, let me give you my parallel to your story, because I travel a lot, 44 states. Some of that's with sports, but some of that's my own personal travel as well. And I do make those historical stops. So on my list... Number one, maybe tied for number one, the Arizona Memorial in Hawaii. I've been there three times. I have wept every time I've been there. And up in that same category is standing atop the cliffs of Normandy. I'll tell you what, that's a powerful place. I've been at the Book Depository in Dallas Mm -hmm. twice, and you just can't help but getting emotional when you're a place like that. And then just last year, in fact, ironically, I'm flying to Memphis on Friday, but no time to really tour much of the city because we're down and back for basketball. But last year when I was down there, I went to the Civil Rights Museum. That's the Lorraine Motel where Martin Luther King got shot. I spent four hours there. It was incredible. The Civil Rights Movement, and then to be able to not just see where he got shot, but to go across the way to the boarding house and see where James Earl Ray Mm. stood, had that same vantage point. 
it's it's incredibly emotional. Yeah, you so. can feel it come alive, you know, and it almost transports you back to that moment. You know, and even some of these moments, they're really terrible moments. They're important moments, you know, and so to be able to put your hand on that and, and be there, uh, there's not a better feeling in the world. So tell me about some of your moments like that. Some of the places you've traveled to and you've experienced history on those travels. Well, I got the privilege. I went to Gettysburg, and a lot of people go to Gettysburg. Um, it's on my list. I haven't been there yet, but I do want to go it. there. Love it. Um, and, but when you go to Gettysburg, you do see a lot of the tourist thing, and and you know, and I appreciate you know they got to make money, um, but I want the real experience, you know. And so when I went, um, I was able to talk to one of the park rangers and allowed to be on the battlefield uh, during the night, which you're not allowed to unless you have permission, which I got. And being on that battlefield, I mean, it was a nice, cool breeze. And there's no streetlights. I mean, it's pitch black. So your senses open up. And then you can start to, you know, feel, you know, is that gunpowder I'm smelling? Is that, you know, what's that sound, you know? And all that opens up and you get a little tingle. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, you know? And being there where these men, you know, fought for what they believed in. And I'm, you know, I, I understand, you know, when we're talking about the Civil War and the Revolutionary War, that the causes may not be politically correct now, but at the same time, you have to appreciate what they believed in. And if we were alive then, we might have believed what, you know, was common then. I just love your passion for this, and especially the passion for the Battle of Fort Griswold, which you're kind of doing in your, your spare time. Uh, tell me what your full-time gig is. <laughs> I am a prep cook at a restaurant. <laughs> my, I want this to be my full-time job. The problem is um, I am not educated in the sense of I didn't go to college for this. Um, I didn't take formal training for this. This is something I've done on my own time. Um, I have gotten a million and a half no's just to get that one yes. And that's what drives me because I know I'm, I'm resilient enough to, you know, get all those no's and keep on going. I think what I like the best about this, though, is the way that you are challenging the mainstream historians on the Battle of Fort Griswold. And Absolutely. you've actually been able to find some chinks in the armor, and that's what this book is about that you'll be coming out with. Right. I, I, I salute you. That's really fun to talk about what you've done, and uh, congratulations on uh, succeeding in that quest. Michael, good to meet you. Thanks for coming in this morning. Thank you. Michael Carroll of Mansfield, historical researcher, discussing this morning the Battle of Fort Griswold on WILI.